Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. My thing was, I, I love I love the gym, you know, and I, I love training, but I also have this thing which not a lot of people know about, right, which is the ocean and being a captain and working on the water. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a career that is interesting to a lot of people. You know, I think a lot of the times things get romanticized, you know, when they're around the ocean, but then they don't actually realize that there's a lot of hardworking men and women that are on the water day in and day out, you know, building brands, companies, organizations that kind of revolve around the ocean, you know, and in, in, in the outdoors. So when I thought about it, I'm like, well, you know, how, where can I kind of give my two cents? You know, how can I provide a platform for people? And it's funny, I was at a friend's wedding um, and I actually just talked to her last night. And she got married in Fayetteville, North Carolina, because her husband is a Green Beret. And basically, at their in this hotel, I sat down on my laptop and I'm like, I'm gonna start a podcast. So I started like re- recording my voice onto GarageBand, and I was like, my voice sounds terrible. I can't do this. So I, then I just put it away, you know. And then <laughs> a year later, um, I I had moved to Hawaii. I was, you know, a captain out there and I kind of, this is always, it always kind of been marinating in my head as to this is kind of what I wanted to do. And I always got interested in media and in, in, in just sharing stories with people, whether it's video, podcasts, blogs, whatever. So, you know, long story short, I, I created three episodes of what was called Beyond the Buoy, you know, at the time. And then that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother side story that <laughs> we don't need to get into, but, um, I, I created these three episodes just thinking, let's just throw it out there, see what happens. And they were friends of mine. You know, I think two two of them I had just met, and then one of them was an oyster farmer here in Narragansett Bay who I've known forever. And, uh, you know, the first few days, I think I got like 25 downloads, and then it kind of spun off from there. And I was like, all right, well, I'll make another one, see what happens. And then that one got like 100 downloads. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So I kind of went with it, you know. And when COVID hit, I had like four or five episodes and that was kind of it. You know, I didn't really have any intentions to build it as to where it is now, but when COVID came and I left and I was kind of at home looking for jobs and whatnot here in Rhode Island, um, I was like, well, I got nothing else to do. You know, I can train. I can't go to, I can't go to province barbell because it's closed. Right. And all the other gyms are, so I can train in my garage which saves me a bunch of time traveling. Mm-hmm. So why don't I start, why don't I like really go at this thing and, and see what it, where it goes. I'm Zach Rollins with the Long Kill Podcast and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Mm-hmm. 
welcome to the podcast today on the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. We've brought together a group of like-minded individuals and like voices so that you can experience all of these great podcasts in one place, and that's the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I've gotten to know a lot of people that are on the collective. We've had Jeff Maggio on the podcast a couple of times. We've done something with Hunter from Captain's Collective, from Farm Traveler. We've done a bunch of different podcasts with podcasters that are on the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and we're going to continue to do that. And today, I'm going to bring you uh, one of those podcasters, he's got a podcast called Along the Keel. His name is Zach Rollins, and Along the Keel is a podcast where he goes and he uh, really gets the backstory on a lot of the brands that you know, like, and trust and see how those brands were built and what's the backstory behind that. It's some pretty interesting stories, and um, I, I really like that podcast. So when I thought about having him on, of course, I do my research. I looked up the podcast. I listened to some episodes and followed him on Instagram. Then I also looked for his own personal Instagram, and what I found there made me really want to have him on because Zach is a very accomplished weightlifter as well, and we get to talk training, which he doesn't talk about on his podcast, um, but we talked about Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman events, and um, just what he's doing and where he plans to go with that and how that fits into his uh, podcast, Along the Keel. So go check out Along the Keel on Instagram, and you can see what his podcast is all about. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Zach Rollins from Along the Keel. All right, yeah. Zach, man, what's going on? Uh, not much. Staying busy, you know, working, podcasting, doing the whole thing, and training. Got an upcoming competition. Uh, let's see, I fly out to Utah uh, on next Friday, so that'll be kind of cool. And then, um, yeah, just staying busy. It's a little cold up here, so not too much time on the water, but, you know, spring's coming. So, so where, where exactly are you? I am in uh, Rhode Island, in okay. Wickford, Rhode Island. So if anyone's familiar with Rhode Island, it's just east of, um, I'm sorry, just west of Newport, which is the, arguably the sailing capital of the United States. Yeah, yeah. And so that... Um, is that how you got into kind of the water and was it around sailing or was it around, you know, power boats or what, how did you get into, you know, the water? Cause everything that I watch on your podcast, you know, you're telling these cool stories of, of, you know, behind this, behind a brand or what the story is, but, but mm -hmm. it all kind of relates back to boating in some sort of way. Um, so you seem to have a, a good history there. How did that happen? How'd you get into that? Yeah. You know, my family has always been, into the water right growing up you know i i've been fortunate to grow up on wickford harbor and uh you know moved around I, w I was born in laguna beach california and then which is right on the water as well and then lived in florida right outside of st augustine for a little while so the ocean has always kind of been you know a pretty big theme in my life and uh very thankful for that because i wouldn't want it any other way but yeah boating growing up you know, I started out with a little rowboat and then uh, kind of graduated to a little 9.9, .9, you know, Zodiac dinghy and, you know, throughout the years kind of went up and up and decided one day that I was going to start working on the water. And I, I was working on the water until, well, since I was about 12, I would say. Really? Been, How do yeah. you start working on the water when you're 12? Well, you know, here in Rhode Island, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of part of the culture. You know, mm -hmm. if you live by the coast, it's pretty easy to find a job. So, I got a job working for a towboat company and I was just washing boats. It was the local company, not a very big brand and uh, washing boats, kind of maintaining, learning a little bit. And then from there, 
I, uh, I managed a marina in high school and just kind of worked on that. And that was awesome. You know, met a ton of great people uh, from all around the world. I met people that would, that was their final stop from sailing around the world. Hmm, so wow. always kind of picking people's brains and, and learning from them. And, you know, uh, a lot of people that own boats are pretty well off. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a certain, you know, there's a certain entry cost when you want to get into a big boat, especially if it's a yacht. So I was always someone that kind of wanted to ask and ask questions and pick their brain. And, uh, I guess that's kind of why I started the podcast in, in some regard, but yeah, going back, you know, I just kind of graduated and I decided, you know, I was going to work on a boat yard. And from there I got sick and tired of sanding and painting boats and I was, uh, was going to get my captain's license and that's what I did. So how old were yeah, you? That was kind of my, right when, when you were I got 18? my license. No. So I got my ticket when I was 20. Okay. Um, so at 20 years old, I got my license. And then I always say it was the quickest, uh, from not being a captain to being a captain because the guy that offered the that was offering the course he actually hired me right on the spot he's like what are you doing this summer i go i don't know i was gonna go run a boat and he's like well you come work for me so that's what i did and uh i i started a recreational boating um program teaching people how to drive boats you nice. know whether it's docking or or you know anchoring whatever it is right boating safety and then uh, also did some captain's course, like learning the back end of that, which was really cool. And, you know, getting to learn all the Coast Guard lingo and kind of the commercial side of what it takes to be a captain. And then, uh, you know, I graduated college and I was like, screw it. I'm uh, I'm going to Hawaii. Ah, nice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what I did. I moved to Hawaii and uh, I started working on boats out there. You know, with my license, I was like, I know I'm going to be able to get a job. It's an island, right? There's there's boats everywhere. And uh, my first job, I uh, I found it because I went into the local marine store, and there's only one on the on the west side of the island, which is Kona, or I should say, the south side of the island. And um, I walked in there with a local six pack of beer, like day two of being on the island, getting off a plane, and I I put it on their desk, and I go, so uh, who needs help around here? Because I'm looking for a job. And uh, they basically looked at me kind of funny because, you know, here's this kid from the Northeast looking for a job on the big island of Hawaii. And um, it was it was all kind of uphill from there and, you know, got another job uh, working and running a charter boat company out there, which was awesome. Did some fishing. And uh, yeah, now I'm back in Rhode Island running boats. So <laughs> what was the what was the draw to Hawaii originally? Um, you know, at the time. I wasn't, I enjoyed the job that I was, that I was doing, but it, I didn't exactly enjoy the environment that I was in, you know? So I think it was a change of pace, but it was also kind of catalyzed with a buddy of mine who I met in college and he was kind of going back and forth with, ah, oh, we gotta, you know, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be, you know, we gotta go do something. So he goes, well, I'm moving to Arizona and I'm like, ah, well, Good luck with that because I'm not going to the desert, not my thing. And then he kept on talking about it, talking about it. And all of a sudden, one day he texts me. He goes, I just bought a ticket to Hawaii. Um, do you want to go? And he just kind of asked me as if I was, you know, like, ah, ha, ha, that'd be funny if Zach would come. And uh, I said, let me think about it. And the next morning I texted him and I said, all right, I bought my ticket. When are we leaving? You know, and, and that was kind of it. But I think it was a mix of uh, just – the culture out there, you know, mm -hmm. I knew there was a really strong culture around the ocean 
and everyone out there is active, mm -hmm. right? No one's sitting inside. Everyone's out. They're either going to the gym, going for a run, you know, fishing, spear fishing, diving. So I've always kind of been attracted to those types of people. And um, I think that's prob probably part of the reason why I moved out there for and sure. Hawaii, I've been there a couple of times and I mm -hmm. loved it so much both times, both three times now I've been to Hawaii and I did, I've never spent enough time there. Like mm -hmm. every time that I go, I'm, I'm like, man, I could have spent a month here, two months, a summer, a, <laughs> yeah. a whole year. How did you pick the the place that you went? Because I mean, Hawaii. You say Hawaii, like there's a lot of Hawaii. How did there's you? A lot of Hawaii. How did you pick a, a an island to to fly to when you know nothing about Hawaii? Yeah, knew nothing about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a little scary at the at the time, but uh, yeah, my my buddy who I moved there with, he had been to Kona. And a family friend of ours who his name is Clint Sloan, he was an artist and he was out in Kona as well. Mm. And it just so happened that, you know, this was like a long lost family friend from when we lived in Laguna Beach. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy Wyland before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All over yeah. So, West. yeah, exactly. All over there. Unbelievable artist. And so Clint Sloan and Wyland used to work very close together when they lived in Laguna. And, um, so that was like, we kind of knew, I sort of kind of knew someone out there, you know, it's funny. I only met him once when I was out there the whole time, even though we lived in the same town. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so my buddy and I, we moved out there and we actually Island hopped for the first week or so. And we went from Kona, which is on the big Island of Hawaii. And then we went to Maui, Oahu, just kind of test it out. And to be honest with you, part of it was what, what Island had the best gym for me to learn to train at. Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of a weird reason, but cause I knew I was going to get a job no matter what Island I was on. Um, but it was just a matter of what gym I'm going to train in. And, um, you know, I, I, I think Kona was the right spot because Oahu was way too busy. It just it was very touristy, not a lot of culture. I mean, don't get me wrong, tons of culture out there, but there was, it was more so the new Hawaii versus the old Hawaii, which you can find on the big Island, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit of a different crowd. It's, it's a lot cheaper to live on the big Island than it is Oahu. And then, um, Maui was, Maui was cool. Um, but very hot. And I just, I'm not a hot, hot person, mm. you know, it's almost like some parts of it are the desert and then some parts of the jungle, but no one lives in the jungle. Everyone lives towards the coast and like the deserty environment. So yeah, Kona was the right move. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. So man, that, that sounds cool. When you were doing that Island hopping, what, how do you do that by boat, by plane, by what? <laughs> um, well, it's, it's funny. Like when I, when I first moved there, I was thinking, oh, I can just, you can boat from Island to Island, right? Not the case. Yeah. Right. They're like, they're, I think the, the distance from Maui to the big Island was like 40 miles, which in on the East coast, right. Going 40 miles on a boat really isn't a big deal. Um, you know, you guys commute to the Bahamas all the time down right. there, but it's not 4,000 feet deep. It's not 4,000 <laughs> feet deep. Right. And, uh, that's the thing like the, but the straight between Maui and the big Island is one of the most dangerous or like the top three in the, in the world. So, um, you're pretty secluded on whatever Island you get on, but, um, yeah, you just, I, I hopped on a plane and it was, a it's a, an airline called Mokulele and, you know, coming from the mainland where a typical airline is, you know, you show up, there's a security, there's baggage claim, right? No, no, no. You just hop on this plane, you hand the pilot your bag and he throws it in the bottom of the plane. 
and then you're hopping on with like i think there's like you know there's dogs some people bring like chickens and stuff on this plane and we'll fly from each and every island is that before 9 11 or after 9 11 no <laughs> this is uh definitely after 9 after really okay yeah yeah yeah. because yeah. that's how it was i mean everything that you just described basically that's how you would go to key west i mean it was right it was really really lax and low-key and people were just you know sitting everywhere and and the airport was really really bare bones and, yeah like uh, like nothing right yeah a lot of a lot of things <laughs> changed i mean i even remember the jackson hole airport was was you know pretty pretty bare bones i mean they had like a giant open door where the skis would come through and just all the luggage would just come through there there wasn't right. like a <laughs> conveyor belt or anything like you see in an airport now it's just like you know you just kind of pick it up and take off and nobody's right you go have a beer with the, the right pilot bag. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly a lot of things change like that but i guess i guess not not in hawaii or or alaska like the alaska bush pilot i mean that's like a it's like a taxi cab up there right you know it's like a it's like an uber i mean you just you just jump on a plane go anywhere hop on the plane <laughs> yeah that's cool that's a yeah. that's a cool culture so why well i, I know i want to get into a couple other things with you but why after how long did you spend in hawaii well, so, you know, I lived in Hawaii for just about a year okay. and then COVID came, right? Oh. And then it was all kind of down. Yeah, so this was fairly recent, you know, and COVID came and, you know, it just decimated the the tourist population, right? The the tourism on the island, everything stems from tourism, right? Mm -hmm. So even carpenters and electricians were kind of getting off the island because if the vacation rentals aren't running and they're not full, then all of a sudden you're not going to have, you know, work to maintain them. Right. So it wasn't just people that were working directly in tourism indirectly. There was a huge ripple effect throughout the Island. Yeah. Right. Um, which is really unfortunate. So I decided that, you know, I know that I'm going to be able to work, um, back here in Rhode Island and I decided to come back and, it, you know, I think it was a good move. You know, the Island, unfortunately is pretty, closed down um they're you know they're letting a lot of people in but it's just not to the extent that it was mm -hmm. before you know so when covid hits was there any um thought that you might get stuck over there because the reason i ask is because <laughs> yeah right about well it was about this time last year my son who's in montana and his girlfriend they were like mm -hmm. we're going to take a trip and we're thinking about going to hawaii and it just i mean we were just seeing the very beginnings of of covid and i was like you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, I think mm -hmm. you should definitely go to Hawaii, but maybe just not right now. Like, let's see what happens here because I was, I mean, the writing was on the wall. Like you could go over there and just, and, and they weren't going to let you leave maybe. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, you didn't know what was going to happen, right? Like it right. was a weird time. Did you think, so weird. was it ever, and, and I had this, I had, uh, um, a kid from Key West on the podcast and he went to Fiji about the same time that you went to Hawaii and mm -hmm. he got stuck there and he's still there really i mean yeah pretty much i oh, mean i shit. think that i think that he um he likes it there and, and yeah the, the he's met a girl there but i think that he he basically got stuck like they said nobody in nobody out like that's how we're going to protect yeah. ourselves here and uh i mean maybe he could go but if he went then he couldn't come back like i don't know right. it's kind of a weird time did you ever have any thoughts that you might not be able to get back or, or you had to make a move like there was a, mm. there was a window of time that you had to make a move. Yeah. You know, you know, obviously looking back on it and, and how it all kind of played out, it definitely didn't, unfortunately, fortunately it didn't go that route. 
but having been you know thrust into oh no that the world is you know shutting down and there's a pandemic and you're just no one knows what's going to happen right the national i'm getting calls uh from new england saying the national guard's getting deployed to the borders and i'm like holy crap yeah. what's, what's going on in the mainland <laughs> <I know. laughs> meanwhile we're drinking you know pina coladas on the beach and like playing with sea turtles like there's it, it's funny like the culture in hawaii people refer to when you live there they refer to the mainland as the states uh -huh. right they refer to it as the uh, as america like they're going to america um and when they first said that they were like i'm like what are you what are you talking about you know it's and then i kind of realized it's just hawaii is its own it's its own country mm -hmm. really is you know which is very cool because it, it it keeps the culture there um but when i first kind of got word of it you know it was um my parents had actually just come out and visited. So I toured them around. We took them out on the boat and just had an awesome time. And meanwhile, it was kind of this like this simmer on the back burner of, oh no, like we're, we're hearing things about the pandemic, but we're not really sure. And then when they came, when they went back, they were like, oh wow, this is like, you, there's no food in the grocery stores. Like this is kind of strange. Um, so there was definitely a feeling of, oh crap, like what if the what if the boats don't come and mm -hmm. supply food to the island right because you know there there's some days where you'd go to the grocery store and they just don't have things you know because the boat didn't come mm -hmm. right and hawaii is not self-sustainable for a lot of a lot of reasons um so yeah there was definitely a weird feeling of oh you know maybe this could go really really bad <laughs> or because you're on an island it could be really really good yeah. you know <laughs> i mean so hawaii i would think would you know I mean, there's a lot of people living there, but I would think that Hawaii would be a pretty good place to try to survive off the land. I mean, you got lots oh, of wildlife, sure. you've got lots of fish, you've got lots of fresh water. Like, there's a mm -hmm. lot of good things in Hawaii. I don't know. It's like, yeah. That's why it's like a paradise because <laughs> it's got all of that and and so yeah. many of the things that I saw in Hawaii. And I am I have just barely scratched the surface, but I was like, oh man, you could go hiking, you could go camping, you could go to a waterfall, you could go surfing, you could go. You know, you catch a marlin right off the beach. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it's just an incredible place. I, I really hope to spend more more time there. My daughter has a, a fondness for it for some reason. She's never been, but she wants to go. And she has always been drawn to, like, Hawaii and Fiji mm -hmm. and these South Pacific places. I, I swear she's going to live there one day. But yeah. um, I don't know. There's a, there's a draw to that place. And there's also, like, the other thing that I've talked about a bunch of times on the podcast is the the feeling that I got when I got to Hawaii um, was a similar feeling to that I got when I was in Yellowstone or mm. every time I go to Yellowstone. I think it's the volcano, man, because you're just like there's an energy there that is it's hard to describe if if somebody hasn't been to a place like that. But, yeah, you, you know, you kind of feel the same kind of energy when you get on top of a mountain or or something and you're just like like it's just. It's it's hard to describe, but I've, mm -hmm. I've definitely felt it strong in Hawaii, strong in Yellowstone, and yeah. uh, I don't. I, I would only assume that it's, you know, the Earth's core is right there. Like <laughs> that's got to do something, yeah, you know. For sure. <laughs> Did you feel yeah. that? Like Hawaii's yeah. a powerful place. Did you kind of feel that that power? Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah. Hawaii is um, it's powerful. It's like it's very majestic. It you don't. And it's hard, it's, it's hard to describe, you know, it really is. But, you know, there's a, when you're driving down a road, right. The Hawaiians say there's Mauna and Makai, right. Makai being the ocean side and Mauna being the mountainside. And it's kind of this, you know, juxtaposition of these two 
major entities kind of coming together, right? Mm -hmm. And you're in the middle of nowhere. So it, you almost question like, how did you even get out here, right? Like how did this beautiful paradise come out of the ocean, out of a volcano and create this just magical place? I mean, on the big island alone, it has almost every single, um, I guess you could say like environmental or every single environment you can imagine, right? You can go to the top of Mauna Kea and yeah. you could be in three feet of snow, right. you know, and go snowboarding. And then you could, you know, stroll yourself down the mountain, go surfing. And like you said, you can go catch a Marlin from the shore. I mean, some of these guys here on the East coast, right. They spend thousands, if not millions of dollars on these big sport fishing boats. Meanwhile, you got, you know, some Hawaiian guy in a skiff hand line and <laughs> catching these beautiful fish. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely something to be said about having lived out there and even visiting. You know, so what what island did you visit, Tom? Um, when you were out there, the Big Island, and uh, oh, awesome! Yeah, that's that's the only place I've been. Um, yeah. So we we just we just kind of saw what we could see. Uh, both times or three times now, I've been there. I was on a stopover going to Christmas Island uh, to okay. go fishing, and when I took my boys on this last trip. Um, I, I was like, you know, last time we didn't spend almost any time. It was basically an overnight in Hawaii, mm -hmm. and then you, you take off. So this time we spent like four or five days, and oh, we just awesome. we just looked around, and we didn't have any agenda or anything. We just kind of explored around. And I had mm -hmm. a friend that was in the Marines, and he knew he knew a little bit about Hawaii. He was stationed there, and so he gave me yeah. a few places to go check out, which were all amazing. But I mean, we were just it was just like going to any amazing place like Yellowstone is a good example. You don't have to know anything mm -hmm. about Yellowstone to be blown away. Like you don't have to have like inside information. Oh, you should go here, you know, or there. You just stop anywhere and it's amazing. Yeah. And that was our experience in Hawaii. And yeah. both my boys felt the same way. They were like, man, I don't know how or when, but I'm coming back here and going to spend yeah. some time, you know? Um, yeah. So that's that's cool. My friend uh, or my son's best friend is now stationed in Hawaii, and and uh, so I think that that was one of the reasons why he was going to go last year, so he could see his see his buddy. So hopefully he'll get over there before his time on Hawaii runs out with the military. But um, man, what a great place! So one of the things yeah. that you kind of just kind of glossed over there um, mm -hmm. was that you were looking for for an island that you had a gym. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, so when, when you first came on to the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, um, you know, somebody sent me, like, this is the new podcast that's on here. And I checked out the podcast. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool, you know, like, <laughs> got some stuff here. And then I looked at your personal thing, and I was like, oh, yeah. man, okay. Here, <laughs> this is a different thing than I thought. And, and dude, you are a very accomplished lifter. And... um so I, I'm interested in, in how that started, like, and, and you're a competitive lifter now, like in the Olympic mm -hmm. lifts, or do you do power lift now? I saw some strongman on there. Um, yeah. Like yeah. What, what's your story with the lifting? <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's funny you ask that, because um, it's not something I get to talk about a lot, you know, but it's, it's a passion of mine that it's been ingrained in, in me ever since I was a kid, you know, and um my my parents they 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 lived in uh, California S Southern California during a time where 
it was just at the end of the golden age of bodybuilding, mm -hmm. right? And kind of in the beginning Muscle of, Beach. Yeah, Muscle Beach, right? Venice yeah. Beach and, you know, kind of this classic, this epicenter for fitness for fitness in, in the United States and, you know, arguably in the world. Right. And, um, you know, so uh, growing up, I, I can, I remember watching Pumping Iron when I was in, you know, when I was 10, right? Yeah, me too. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, uh, you know, having Arnold movies was, you know, every Friday night it was, you know, sitting down and watching an Arnie movie, you know, and, and no matter what. So I think I probably saw a predator when I was in like kindergarten or something like that, but <laughs> might've um, been a bad idea at the time. Might have been a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> but, uh, and, and that's, that was the thing to do. Right. So it was always something to see, you know, guys like Arnold and Columbo and, you know, um, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, Tom Platts, you yeah. know, like all these Lou big Frigno. names, Lou Frigno. Yeah. Right. Another incredible bodybuilder with an incredible story behind him as right. well. And then Stallone um, turned into a bodybuilder boxer, yeah, you know, but more of a bodybuilder than a boxer, but I don't know. I yeah, mean, he put on a pretty, pretty <laughs> impressive physique, you know, he still does. I mean, I think he's like what 70 now. Yeah. Or something? No, I mean, yeah, but, but you know, back in the day, like Rocky three, Rocky four, yeah, he was looking pretty tight. <laughs> he's a beast. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, having, grown up kind of with that mentality, you know, my mom was a semi-professional bodybuilder. Um, so growing up, you know, school lunches weren't, you know, uh, you know, going and getting a sandwich, right. It was chicken and rice and a Tupperware and, uh, you know, make sure you're eating your kale and spinach and, and what are stuff you like having, that. Zach? <laughs> uh, you don't, you don't really want it. <laughs> no, no one wanted to trade with me. <laughs> I always imagine, um, you know, that I've seen Billy Madison, yeah. right? When he's like, uh, you know, I can kick your ass if you want that snack pack, you know, with the, <laughs> with the pudding. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, growing up, that was, that was the thing to do. Whereas other families were going to, you know, going to sporting events. It was, we're going to the gym, you know, and. So when you went all... there as a little kid, are you, are you drawn to like the Olympic lifting? Are you drawn to the bodybuilding kind of uh type of workouts or mm -hmm. what, how did that kind of materialize into what you're doing today? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I guess it really kind of, there's an evolution, right? Mm -hmm. So when I first started out, it was always, you know, bodybuilding, you know, hypertrophy work, you know, you're in that, you know, eight to 10, yeah. 12 set range, um, or rep range, I should say. So, and then it kind of, and then it kind of grew, you know, and as my interest kind of changed, I was always enamored by, you know, strong men, right. I was, that was my loved watching it. I can remember being in a hotel, I think I was like eight years old and there was strongman world championship came on and there was Marius Pujanowski, Brian Shaw, Zavikis, and they were all competing. And I was just sitting there and they, everyone else went away. Like they went upstairs and I was just like, I was just watching it, staring at these guys, picking up cars and logs. And I was like, oh man, that's badass. Like, you know, at eight years old, I was like, I want to do that one day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually hadn't done my first strongman competition until this past summer in June. But, um, you know, I, from bodybuilding, I got into CrossFit, you know, mm -hmm. for a, a long time, actually, and throughout high school. And uh, I competed in CrossFit and I actually got, so close to going to when the teen, um, when they opened up the teen division, I think it was 2000. I don't know. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, I, I was very, I was close to actually going to the games. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but there was like a, I was a month too old to go. Mm. So I don't know. I always say I probably could have gone, but I don't know. You never know if you actually do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and it's funny. So when I was going through your stuff, Tom, and watching a lot of the videos, um, I stumbled upon fitter TV, you know, and it, 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 I, it jogged my memory that there was an interview that you did with Dan Bailey and Rich Froning and you were at Texas tech university yeah, or Tennessee tech, Tennessee tech. Yeah. And, um, I can remember watching that video like mm -hmm. 10 years ago Yeah, and, and being like, Oh man, Rich Froning is a badass, you know, like, and that was kind of, he was kind of an idol at that time. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of funny. It was like a major deja vu you yeah. know, seeing that video. I was like, Oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is the guy that made the video and I'm talking to this is kind of funny. Um, but yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I got injured, um, I, I, in CrossFit and just, I wasn't really an injury. It was just some nagging things. And I decided, you know, I was going to college at the time and I wanted to join a team, you know, and I'm not really a sports guy. I enjoy sport. I, I like, I like watching sports and whatnot, but I, I like training more than I do actually competing, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. I, I like that. I like the journey and, um, powerlifting they had a powerlifting team at uri and not a lot of colleges had that so it was convenient that i was in rhode island with a powerlifting team so might as well go to uri and uh yeah I, i'll tell you what that was the that was an incredible decision to be on that team yeah i mean so for people that don't know i mean not mm -hmm. everybody knows as much about lifting as as you or, or maybe even me but um explain the difference between powerlifting olympic lifting and then just regular lifting Sure. Yeah. So I guess if you're a recreational lifter and you're going to the gym to get in shape, right. You know, you're going in cause you want to hit a certain heart rate and maybe put on some muscle. You're probably doing hypertrophy work and you might throw in a certain, maybe a strength cycle every once in a while. Um, but that's very recreational. Like you don't have the intention of competing. Mm -hmm. Um, powerlifting is you're, you're kind of, you're narrowing your focus, right? So you're focusing on the big three, which is the squat, the bench and the deadlift or the, or SBD. Right. Um, and you're just trying to get as heavy as possible. And when you go to a competition, basically you have three attempts for each lift. So you can go nine for nine, which is getting all of them. And you can actually, you know, if you go on, let's say for the squat, you know, you take three attempts. If you miss your second, well, then you can have another third. And if you don't miss the, if you don't take the third, then, you know, you got to move on. So it's basically that, who can lift the most within those three lifts within this given amount of time? Um, Olympic lifting is similar to powerlifting in the sense that instead of having three lifts, there's only two lifts. And those two lifts are the snatch and the clean and jerk. And th that's primarily what they, you know, at the Olympics, that's what it's known for. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Olympic lifter, you know, you're, you're more commonly called a weightlifter. You know, I think people kind of mix that up a little bit. They're like, what do you do? And I'm like, ah, I'm a weightlift. I, I do weightlifting. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. So and they think of that as like yeah. the general like sense of building. just lifting. <laughs> yeah. Like bodybuilding, yeah. totally different. Right. Yeah. And weightlifting, right. You have the snatch from the clean and jerk. You get three attempts in each at a competition. And the cool thing about that is the bar never gets lighter. Right. So it's always getting heavier and it, it kind of, you can kind of play games with other people during the competition. So it's not necessarily just who lifts the most, but it's who lifts the most within this given amount of time, you know? Um, and then strongman is just a variety of different lifting where, you know, picking up cars, farmers walks, like all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. So Atlas stones, Atlas stones. Yeah. Yokes, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. Did you ever, did you ever run into, um, do you know who Rob Orlando is? 
Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have one of his shirts, hybrid yeah. athletics. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did a couple of shows with him. Uh, he's a really cool guy. He did, he had an interesting thing going on where he was kind of, kind of bringing strongman into CrossFit. And, um, I went up there and did a fitness truth episode with him and he taught me how to, um, you know, do the Atlas stones and do a lot of the strongman stuff that he was doing and, mm-hmm. and just kind of how that translated into regular lifting and how it translated into, you know, CrossFit type competitions and mm-hmm. how it just translated into just pure strength that would translate across everything that you're doing. And, yeah. uh, he, he's, he's a cool dude, man. I really liked him. Um, but you know, as a wrestler, um, that's kind of, you know, strongman is, Similar to wrestling in that you're lifting an odd object mm-hmm. and you're expected to do it, you know, repeatedly over and over and over yeah. again. And so some of the strongman stuff, because your hips are involved and all of that, some of the strongman stuff came easier than, say, the snatch has come yeah. for me. You know, that's mm-hmm. a, a snatch is like a it's like a golf swing. It's mm-hmm. it is you watch somebody that's really good at it. You're like, I don't think that guy's that much stronger than me. And maybe they're not, but their technique mm-hmm. is so good. Or a girl, yeah. like so many of these girls right now. Oh, my God. They weigh 120 insane. pounds, and they're snatching, you know, 240. And it's like, yeah. what? Like, yeah. how? It's like, crazy. I don't even think you could deadlift that. But um, <laughs> so so this uh, this pursuit, when did you start as a kid going from – kind of just kind of the bodybuilding into any of these pursuits of like you watch that strong man on TV. Uh, did you get some sort of coaching that was, you know, for the, for the Olympic lifts or for the power lifting or, or did you just kind of go in at, on your own or what? Yeah. So I think when things started to become more formalized and also a side note, I also wrestled in high, I wrestled in high school mm-hmm. too. So like very, I can totally agree with the strong man and how the, it, the transitions very well. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've started to get serious with lifting and competing and traveling and, and really trying to make a go at it and, and doing some pretty cool things. Probably when I got injured, um, which resulted in me going into Olympic weightlifting, you know, I had coaches in powerlifting, but when you're on the powerlifting team in, in college, it, it's, there's a lot of self coaching, you yeah. know, from the yeah. guys, like you're learning from the older guys and they're kind of, you know, throwing things on you and you're kind of teaching them and. But, you know, I had a, I guess my first coach would be Anthony Iannero when I was young and he was my mom's bodybuilding coach. And then for the powerlifting, I got somewhat coached by a guy named Dr. Michael Pepin, who is a CPT and uh, he actually has his diplomat now. So that's like, you got your doctorate and then you have your diplomat. Mm. It's like the level above. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> told me. In what? Like, um, and what's his you know, diplomat in what? Um, Cairo, I'm going to, I don't want to butcher it, but it's like chiropractic, um, and sports rehabilitation or exercise okay. science. Yeah, so, okay. um, he's, just, he's got some cool equipment there. Uh, but, and then, you know, when I got injured, basically in powerlifting, I, I had a partial groin tear and, um, just kind of being stupid, not really paying attention. And from there I was like, all right, well, I gotta keep moving forward here. So, I actually met Dr. Pep, uh, Dr. Michael Pepin, um, who's here in Rhode Island. And from there, he kind of broke me down. I mean, literally like picked everything apart. Hmm. And it was super, super humbling because he's doing it in front of everyone that was there, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, at the time, right, it's, uh, I was working, I was going to school and I would go up 
to this place at like eight o'clock at night. And I wouldn't leave until 11 o'clock sometimes. And then during the mornings, um, I, before I'd go to class, I'd drive up, which was a 45 minute ride. I'd wake up at four 30 and I'd go for the 5.00 AM, um, like the 5.00 AM little session that we'd put mm -hmm. together just for the people that wanted the lift. Um, so, you know, a few years went by and it, basically I was feeling better. You know, my, my groin was a lot, you know, in, in a much healthier place. And this guy comes in and, uh, his name is Dave and Dave is like this big bearded dude. And he had Chacos on, um, which, you know, I'm like, what is this guy wearing, you know, sandals for <laughs> in Rhode Island? And, uh, so I watched him snatch and clean and jerk. And I'm like, man, that's really, really cool. And I had, I knew about Olympic lifting. Like I had watched some of the Bulgarian stuff and, um, you know, through CrossFit, you kind of indirectly get introduced to it, which is pretty cool. Like my, how, what Mike Bergner did for the community. Um, but basically from there, uh, I was like, Hey doc, like, what is that guy doing? I kind of want to do that. Like that looks cool. Powerlifting is great, but everyone can squat bench and deadlift, you know, like no, no matter who you are, you can go into a gym and you can squat bench and deadlift. Now there's only a select group of people that know how to snatch and clean and jerk. Mm -hmm. And there's a really small amount of people that can snatch and clean and jerk really well. You know, so Dr. Pepin was like, yeah, we can, we can go through do that. And he kind of introduced me to it, taught me the sport. He led me up to my first competition and at my first competition, unfortunately he couldn't go. So basically I got sent on my own, you know, <laughs> I had competed in powerlifting. I was like, all right, well, it's probably the same thing. <laughs> not even, not even close. Right. Totally different structure to the meat and sure as shit. Guess who walks in? It was big Dave with the beard and the Chacos. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So he walks in and he's like, oh, you're Pepin's kid. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just first comp. He's like, all right, well, if you need help, let me know. So I start warming up and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like Olympic lifting is very much so like there's an, there's a recipe that you have to follow. And if you don't follow it, you're probably not going to do well. Right. So Dave, he looks at me as I'm warming up and he goes, so, uh, is this your first meet? And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. He goes, all right, well, let me, let me help you out. So basically he took me under his wing and, um, you know, coached me through the entire meet, you know, and I never really met him like only on a handshake. And then after that, he tell he goes, Zach, you know, if you want to learn more, um, because I know you're limited at Pepin's cause there was only certain times we could train because of the, um, you know, some of the timing with other businesses around, we couldn't drop heavy weights. And uh, he invited me to come to Providence Barbell Club, which is where I'm now. You know, yeah. I just started training looks with him. Super cool. Yeah, right. It's awesome. Yeah, it's I so mean, cool. A big open air place with old bricks, mm -hmm. and and it looks really, really super cool. And then you can hear in the back of your videos that you got a support team behind you, like people that are into it and know what what's going on. That's a yeah. that's got to be a really, you know. I love places like that that bring a certain energy to this environment of, I mean, it could be a wrestling room. It could be a jujitsu mm -hmm. place. It could be a boxing gym, but like you go into one of these places and you're like, man, work gets done here. Like yeah. this is, this is an intense place. It could be a Marina, you know, you go to a, you sure. go to certain marinas and there's like 10 of the top guides there. And you're like, Whoa, like right. this is, this is the real deal right here. And that's what that gym that, you know, when I look at your videos, yeah. that, that looks like that, like that, yeah. that place, some work gets done in there. Yeah. I love that gym. I mean, 
I, when I moved, when I, I, I was competing for them and then I moved to Hawaii and they were, I did some satellite coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I had a competition out in San Francisco, but then when I moved back here, you know, there's, there's nothing like being in the home, home field advantage, you know, and, and being in a gym where everyone's there for the same goal. Right. So yeah, love province. And so club. when you say everybody's there for the same goal, like how many competitions would, would someone generally compete in i mean my my experience with olympic lifting is all centered around crossfit so Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know this world it's an interesting world but like how many what's a what's a healthy kind of competition schedule for somebody like you that's got a job but you're you're good at this um so how many times do you compete a year um well i think prior to covid right um, it was, let's see, I'd probably do about three, maybe four a year, maybe, um, where there was probably one tune up meet, which is like a local meet, you know, and then you might do another local meet, but really you're kind of, you're paying attention to the big meets, which in Olympic weightlifting is the American open. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the American open finals and then there's the American open series. The series events are kind of the, the, the beginner, not the beginner meets, but the intermediate, like to the American open finals. And then from finals, you have nationals and from nationals, you have the Pan Ams and all these other meets that you can go up and up and up Mm -hmm. like the worlds and, you know, the Olympics being the last and final, like the, the boss at the end of the video game type things, the Olympics. (laughs) Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I'd say like, I usually typically compete like three or four times a year. Um, and then there's always like a, a few big meets mixed in. Um, this year, because of COVID, I got to do a straw man meet. That was kind of my, you know, I have to do some, something I have to train towards something. So I, I, I did that. And then from there, it's all been leading up to this competition, uh, which is coming up in, well, next week, Friday, uh, Sunday, next Sunday. Hmm. So, and so what about the weight classes? Do you, where do you compete? How big are you? So I am five, six and I weigh 90. 94 kilos, which is right around 208. You're five, six, 208. Yep. Pretty, roughly pretty stocky dude. <laughs> uh, and so, man, let me, I, I'm just, I watched you front squat. It, it was yeah. like over 400 pounds. I think it was 196 kilos. Yep. That's 400 and what? 400 and uh, like 430, 430. So you yep. got a 430 front squat at yep. 200 pounds. Yep. more than double body weight and then what's your yeah. snatch so my snatch is my arch enemy right um i said <laughs> everybody <I> <laughs> yeah i know um i snatch 110 right now which is like 245 okay um and then my clean and jerk is right around 150 kilos so 330 and then um my back squat right now i did a double at 210 so i'm estimating that i could probably do about 215 for a max, which is like 480 or something, something like that. Wow. So when did you, um, like, you know, there's like regular strong and, and, you know, like you're kind of strong among your friends and stuff like that. And then, you know, when you get your technique down and you start to, to get stronger and you make like this big jump, like there was obviously a big jump there, uh, Mm -hmm. when you started getting coaching and, and everything, what was, when did you kind of notice like, okay. I'm moving some like real weight. Like you start talking about, you know, you're front squatting 300 pounds. That's that raises some eyebrows. And then you go over 400 pounds. You're, you're like, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. 
you know, nice. like, so, I mean, at what point did you, did you make a big jump or has this been a gradual process the whole time? Oh man. Um, well, I think there's two, like there's two ways to look at it, right? There's a, there's a big jump in, um, knowledge and maturity when it comes to lifting. And then there's a big jump in, you know, how much you can lift. Right. right. Um, and one does definitely does not live without the other. Right. And for me, getting a coach and really diving into what it means to be an athlete, you know, and not just someone who likes to train, um, was a huge jump in knowledge and maturity. I mean, I learned so much from being around Dr. Michael Pepin and my coach, Jared, Jared Smith. Um, and then, you know, my coach, Dave Ethier right now, um, just having that knowledge and those people that you can look to, um, was a huge jump in my eyes, you know? So when, For sure. when, when you're, when you're getting this knowledge, mm -hmm. what, what is the kind of, when you look at it, what is the take home? Is it that you weren't doing enough work that you were doing it incorrectly or that you weren't even coming close to, uh, to testing yourself? <laughs> like, like uh, the, you know, there's some people yeah. like, like me, I like to train like you. And in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, I hold myself back because I like to train too much. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people look at the programming and they're like, man, if you took a little more rest, you know, and you didn't do this stuff and this stuff and this mm -hmm. stuff, you, you'd probably make some big jumps. Like what, what yeah. was it for you when you get the coaching? Was it not enough, too much, or, or you need to do it in a different way? Yeah. Well, honestly, Tom, like I was, I was, you know, coming from doing, having done CrossFit, right. There's, it's kind of in the culture that like the more work you do, the, the better you're going to get, you know, yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, I think that definitely holds true in some ways, but you know, the biggest for me was definitely recovery. You know, you gotta, you gotta train hard and you gotta recover harder, you know? And then the other thing was there's no, um, there's no right way to do things. There's only better ways to do things. Right. So, you know, you got the bar over your head and you did a snatch. Great. But was it the best technique? You know, was it the best way to do it without possibly getting injured? You know, so things like that, I think were definitely, um, added a lot, a lot of value to my training and especially the recovery, you know, cause I'm, I'm someone that, you know, I, I like to work, you know, whether it's me building my own business and podcast, whether it's working for someone else, whether it's in the gym, I just, I like to work, you know, and that's always been a struggle for me is trying to dial that back a little bit and be like, all right, instead of focusing on, you know, running and CrossFit and Olympic lifting and powerlifting, we're just going to focus on Olympic lifting and get really, really good. And then if we want to kind of ease back on the cycle of Olympic lifting and kind of add in some, you know, bench press, some strongman, that's going to help, you know, down the road to make you a better Olympic lifter. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing I learned was this is a long game. Olympic lifting is like the longest game you're ever going to play. You know, we, we literally program a year in advance, pretty much, you know? So like right now we're building out a program that's going to be implemented throughout the next year or so that's going to lead up to hopefully the AO finals, maybe 2021, but even 2022 hmm. is kind of what we're looking at. So like, wow. this is such a long game. Wow. And then if, it, and that's all based on percentages of, of tested maxes and stuff like that. So when you, mm -hmm. when you don't hit that, then you have to restructure everything and kind of, 
go back to building that base up a little bit more and, and restructure mm -hmm. all of your, yeah, that's, that's, that's a cool thing, man. So yeah. <laughs> What about, I, I know we're going to get to your podcast here. In a minute. No, no, I love about talking fishing. about lifting. Trust oh, I, me. I know you do. I do too. Uh, but maybe <laughs> not everybody that listens to it. They're like, God dang, man, when are we going to get back to fishing? Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so what about mobility and flexibility? Like that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize with, with especially the Olympic lifting, man. You look at these guys in the Olympics and most of them could probably just drop into a split right there like they're yeah. they are really amazingly flexible did you work on that with your coaches did they start to work i mean like the snatch <laughs> and the clean and jerk i mean they're they're impossible lifts if you don't have good ankle mobility and hip mobility yeah. and, and i mean you have to be able to to get into these positions and you have to be mm -hmm. able to do it well and a lot of people don't have that at first like mm -hmm. what was your journey to to mobility how much time do you spend on that well, you know, that's, uh, that's always another one of my arch enemies <laughs> is mobility, right? Because it's one of those things that it's those little things that you do that the most successful people are doing consistently. Um, and, you know, if you're someone like me, I just, I don't know, mobility has never been my, my thing. Some people are really into it. Yeah, but you're also um, really young. Like, yeah, th there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I got I, biomechanically with my height and my ratios, weightlifting is more catered towards me versus someone who's really tall and lanky. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that, I'm pretty tight, you know, like my, my hamstrings are pretty tight. My hips are tight. So I'm constantly trying to do stretching and, and mobility and recovery. Epsom salt baths have been pretty, um, you know, just an awesome way for me to recovery, uh, recover at night. You know, I do those like twice a week and then, you know, stretching every day. Um, I try and stretch, no matter what, I definitely stretch before I train. And then after I train, just some light stretching with heavy stretching after do some dynamic warmups, just to kind of get some sort of sweat and some blood flow before I train. And then either later in the night or earlier in the day, I'll do some mobility stuff as well. Hmm. So for me, it's a lot of, um, my, my quads, my hamstrings, and then my ankles are what's what usually bog me down just hmm. because we, as Olympic lifters, you put so much load on your posterior chain that you gotta you gotta do something about it you know yeah. yeah yeah well that's it's uh it's really impressive to to see somebody i put something on my story yesterday um it was noah olson um and he was doing some snatch work and man, i saw that yeah he was shooting down into his into his lowest squat position in that snatch i mean so much so and it was funny because he's been on the podcast and mm -hmm. i've trained with him a number of times and He's uh he's a good dude and we stay in touch and I shared that on my story and almost immediately he he got back hey man thanks for sharing that's cool and and sent me a little note and I was like man have you been working on that bottom position because that was I mean, he was dropping into it so mm. forcefully it looked like he had just gained some serious mobility like yeah a newfound ability he was like no nah, I've been working on my ankle flexibility a little <laughs> bit but yeah you know, I don't know I don't think that that was that challenging of a weight for for noah but uh it's 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 really impressive to see really big strong people with incredible flexibility like juji mufu that dude yeah that is dude's unbelievable man he can doing just, splits and yeah, shit chair no. splits with <laughs> chair splits with with like 185 overhead and yeah. he just he just drops into a split I, 
but but it goes to show you like a lot of people have have kind of associated a big strong guy with somebody mm -hmm. that's super tight and you know you see right. the olympic lifters and somebody like juju mufu who has this amazing uh instagram that's hilarious by the way yeah. <laughs> if you want a good follow um and he is so flexible i mean he calls himself the anabolic acrobat because he just does all of these um crazy crazy things with uh with his body but it's all flexibility and yeah he's he's yeah he's uh, a beast too I and mean, he's not he is a strong dude he's a I very mean, I I strong dude he front squatted like 500 pounds the other day or so yeah. or like last week well he just like, comes in there shit. and does three back flips and then deadlifts yeah. like 700 pounds you know yeah and then does a backflip and runs off the stage and and you know does whatever but he's he's a yeah. he's an amazing guy and i think that um you know it seems like he's able to train um hard and consistently and remain really strong and and injury free and that's mm -hmm. been something that i've been really working on this this year is way more stretching i mean i'm stretching mm -hmm. like two hours a day and it has been wow it has been really remarkable now i yeah. don't think that i'm going to have to continue to stretch two hours a day but there's this there's this period where if you've been neglecting it mm-hmm if there's only one way to get it back and that's a lot of time and yeah. I've been spending a tremendous amount of time and I'm noticing big differences. But if I spend a two, if I have a two hour session, the next day in training is, is it feels like I wound the clock back 20 years. It is mm -hmm. amazing. And I just, just the way I walk up and down the stairs, the way that I walk around all day is like, wow, like I feel like, you know, like all my joints have been lubricated and it's right now the guy that I'm following here, this, this, uh, Joe Hippensteel, he, mm -hmm. uh, he says it's the fountain of youth that, that stretching is the, the fountain of youth and particularly yeah. the way that he does it. And I, I tend to believe it, man. It, but it's also very, very, very easy to neglect because it's horrendous and painful <laughs> and oh awful. Oh my God. It's I mean, so it bad. is literally like the worst thing in the world when you're doing I it. Hate it. But then after, it's so good. It's like one of those mm -hmm. things where, you know, like like with your diet or something, like it's almost the opposite. It's like, mm -hmm. it, you know, you eat that ice cream. It's so good going down. But then for the rest of the day, maybe even Feels the rest like of the week, you're like, man, why did I do that? I don't. Mm -hmm. but, but you just can't help it when it's right in front of you. You want it. And stretching is like the opposite. It is, it is horrible and mm -hmm. terrible <laughs> for those two or three minutes or whatever you're spending in this position. And then for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, for the rest of the month, you're glad you did it, but man, yeah. you don't want to do it. I mean, it's just, it's a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible yeah. thing. And stretching has never been, <laughs> I would much rather do a 10 by 10 on the back squat oh, or like a max 10 yeah, than like stretch anything. Like, oh my God, waterboarding, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> anything like yeah. whatever it's, it's, it is really bad. But, but then, you know, once you kind of get to it, then all of a sudden that position gets a little bit easier and a little mm -hmm. bit easier and a little bit easier. But if you're, if you're really going after it, then you're just seeking that next level of whatever it is. So you're going deeper or using a sandbag or something. I don't know, but right. that has been, that has been really, really great for me. Um, Cool, man. Well, well, your lifting uh, is 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 awesome. So, where do you hope yeah. to go with it? You hope to go to the Pan Ams or taking it as far as you can? Is and are you going to stick just to Olympic lifting, or are you kind of up for whatever at this point? You know, um, you know, it's funny. So, I was having this conversation with my coach 
who were, were pretty close and well, I'm close with both my coaches. And, you know, I, I was calling them up last night and we're, we're constantly throwing videos back and forth of like, um, the Bulgarians and different coaches. And recently I've been on the Sean Waxman kick who's out in California. I haven't know if you've heard of Sean Waxman before. I don't know. Him. Um, yeah, he's unbelievable weightlifting coach. He, his gym is actually probably the oldest weightlifting What's it called? gym. I might know the gym. Um, Waxman's gym. Okay. No, I don't know. It. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like, uh, he's like the modern Mike Bergner, okay. you know, who, who I got to meet at a meet. Awesome dude too. Yeah. I've been, but, I've, um, I've had him as a coach a couple of times in different. Have you really? Yeah. He's, he's amazing. One of the things about him though, that I was telling you earlier is I was amazed at how short the short and intense the sessions were. He was hmm. like, do this, do this, do this. Okay. We're done. You know, like and that's it. Yeah. And, and it was like, I would have gone a little bit longer, but I also would. Was it like an hour or like how long? Well, it was like, uh, it was when I was doing all that fitness truth stuff and, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd go up to that Reebok one and he'd be a, a guest coach there or a guest coach, you know, uh, a couple of times now I've run into him mm. and, uh, just a wonderful man. He's just a really nice guy, but yeah, he, he has a way that, you know, he's going to, he, you're going to do your front squats then you're going to do your snatches and then it's over, mm -hmm. man. That's it. That's, a, that's what you're going to do for yeah. today. And that's probably <laughs> tailored towards the CrossFit crowd, you know, to where he's just like, you know, I don't want, I don't want anybody doing too much. And right. this is going to be pretty good for everybody here. And that's what we're going to do today. Nobody's getting hurt. Yeah. Nobody's, you know, right. I, I don't know. You got to kind of dial it back a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, for sure. maybe, but I mean, what I came away from was that was a much shorter session than I'm used to. And it mm -hmm. was also a little heavier. And so, so it's, it's a little more intense, but a little shorter and, you know, I, I would yeah. imagine that if I continued to do that, I would make some some big gains. But he's he's yeah. a really good coach. I mean, and what he's done for the for the uh, the CrossFit community is amazing. And I think that mm -hmm. has translated into the to the Olympic lifting community because there's more people lifting doing Olympic lifting now than maybe oh, God, in, a, yeah. in a long time. And a lot of yeah. that is 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 you know his his input with the CrossFit world and then you know a lot of people like you like they get into it they like CrossFit but mm -hmm. really I kind of like this lifting more and I've seen a mm -hmm. lot of people do that to kind of gravitate away from CrossFit and more into the lifting yeah. and uh there's there's a new participant in the sport because it's kind of a you know it was kind of a dying sport like it's mm -hmm. it's you you go to a 20 you go to a 24 7 fitness place you're not allowed to you know drop 175 pounds overhead right you know like you, you, mm -hmm. you're, you're not allowed they don't have space for that and it's an insurance nightmare for those people like right what you're just gonna yeah. let anybody come in here and just fling weights over their <laughs> head weights like, around no. yeah um yeah. and so for that reason like it's you got to have a place like what you have like this mm -hmm. place that is designed for this that's surround you're surrounded by people that are doing this activity and that's what they're interested in because it doesn't mix with with bodybuilding type places or yeah or or you know a a, a gold's gym or a mm -hmm. you know, whatever a twenty four seven kind of gym type place right right so if it wasn't for the for the CrossFit world and those type of gyms who now aren't just CrossFit like they'll have a whole mm -hmm. like a lifting time with a lifting right. coach that comes in right and and that I, I would think that that would tend to to bring a lot more people into the sport which could be kind of controversial to yeah make, like what you is know, what is the feeling of that in the in the olympic lifting world like the real olympic lifting world 
Yeah, I, I think it goes both ways, right? There's, you know, what I see it as is CrossFit has put more barbells in people's hands and given them more opportunity to be a stronger, you know, a stronger self than any other sport ever, right? Because, I mean, a lot of people play football, but then, you know, I see it all the time. You get these old guys that played football back in high school, but now they're, they're fat and out of shape, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I used to be able to run, you know, a hundred yards. Like, yeah. Back when you were 16, you know, but people that are doing CrossFit, you know, you have all walks of life in there, whether you're old, young, you know, I remember the box that I was going to, you know, there's, there's people that are 70, 80 plus going there, you know, and just doing box, you know, uh, sitting on a box and standing up and picking up weights off the floor and just moving. Right. I mean, my grandmother goes to the gym every single day and she's 88 years old. Right. (laughs) So it's, oh, she's a badass. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, it's like people, you know, I think put way too much emphasis on what you're doing in, in terms of your fitness. And yeah, I mean, I compete in Olympic weightlifting because that's my sport. But in terms of what CrossFit's done, it's made more healthy, you know, healthy individuals and at least opened their minds up to other sports. Like, you know, Strongman has blown up right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the past few years, Strongman with, you know, Hathor Bjornsson and um, Brian Shaw, all these guys coming on YouTube. And, and I think a lot of that is because of the CrossFit community. Well, yeah, you know? because then you look at it like like one of the big supporters of that is Rogue fitness and road mm-hmm. fitness was born out of crossfit and and now they have resources and they're trying you know they're catering to the strongman crowd they're catering but they're also providing a platform that didn't exist before like it was right. either espn or nothing and so when the strongman yeah. competitions kind of go off of espn um where where do you see that anymore like mm-hmm. i had um do you know steve slater Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had him on the podcast. He was. Super Did you really? Cool. Oh yeah, man. He builds all those giant logs and stuff. He's a big time fisherman. He loves fishing. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know no, that. He loves it, man. And and uh, he's he's a super cool guy. Uh, love that. I guy. have some of his stones in my garage. I'm sure you do. Um, yeah. And, and he uh, he's got all those giant logs. You should, man. You're up there. You would love this place. He has a hardware store. Like that's this, his deal, Slater's Hardware, and no it's shit. like him and huh. his sister and his brother own this place, and each of them have like some sort of little hobby that they're into. His happens mm-hmm. to be strongman stuff. So you go into this hardware store, and oh yeah, here's the fertilizer, here's the bird feed. <laughs> what is this giant log doing here? Why yeah. is the why are there all these huge dudes in here lifting? What are they lifting like? everything stones right. and logs and 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 then you go over here and like one of them apparently is into like rc cars like super into really? rc cars and so they have like this whole section of all of that stuff and then i don't know each, cool. each person in the family has kind of been given the autonomy to you know bring one whatever and this hardware store sounded like the coolest place in the world but yeah. but he builds all his stuff around there and has mm-hmm. all that stuff in there and you might at any day walk into this obscure little hardware store and see like your strongman heroes, right? Like checking out this new <laughs> log and maybe possibly lifting it over their head and it weighs yeah. seven hundred pounds. Um, yeah. But that guy's super cool. He's he, but it's up there somewhere around where you are. Like, I mean, the Northeast is kind of a. I, I kind of all I kind of lump it all together because <laughs> you know I drive from 
you know, Florida to Montana. So like looking at that little area up there, I'm like, oh, it's all like one state. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean any, I don't mean any uh, disrespect. It's just not, yeah, no, nothing is very far away from, from somewhere else. So like yeah. Rob, Rob Orlando, he's in Connecticut and, yeah. and uh, Slater, I think he's in, I think he's in Connecticut too. Ross, is he? Ross Enomite. He's up that way. And you got a lot of strong, freaking awesome athletes up there. It's the Must cold weather. Long, what else are you going to do? Winter. No <laughs> kidding. I mean, like you, you want to be out boating, but you just have to lift weights all, all winter. Right. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Wow. Boating and boats and barbells. Yeah. Oh, man. There you go. That's the name <laughs> of your new podcast. You have it. There another. you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's talk about your podcast for a minute, like uh, uh, along the keel. Like what was, did you start this after um, Hawaii or before, or what's the, what's the journey on the podcast? Yeah. So I had always, I mean, I've been obsessed with podcasts since forever, you know, and you know, one podcast that I've listened to religiously and I don't listen to their new stuff all that often is Barbell Shrugged, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and you know, I know you guys, you know, um, Mike, not, Mike yeah, Bledsoe, Mike. when Mike was there, I listened to it yeah. a bunch. Okay. Yeah. And then who's the, who's the guy that you had on, well, he was on fitter TV, um, during that video with rich Froning and Dan Bailey going at it together. Uh, um, he's, he's a part of the barbell shrug team. I just can't remember his, and I um, had him on the podcast. Name. No, he was on your fitter. I don't know if you had him on the podcast. Mm, let's see. I don't know who that would be. Um, oh, he's a younger guy. Oh, um, yeah. A guy from Memphis. Yeah, that's where Me yep. all that kind of started out. Um, right. Yeah, I can't remember who that was. Um, I can't remember his name. He was a he was like pretty top level CrossFit athlete at the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't remember who that was. Yeah, but so anyway, you know, listening to him, Chris Moore was a big influence too. Um, listening to his podcast, Barbell Buddha, and you know, my thing was I I love I love the gym, you know, and I I love training. But I also have this thing which not a lot of people know about, right? Which is the ocean and being a captain and working on the water. And, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a career that is interesting to a lot of people. You know, I think a lot of the times things get romanticized, you know, when they're around the ocean, but then they don't actually realize that there's a lot of hardworking men and women that are on the water day in and day out, you know, building brands, companies, organizations that kind of revolve around the ocean, you know, in, in, in the outdoors. So when I thought about it, I'm like, well, you know, how, where can I kind of give my two cents? You know, how can I provide a platform for people? And it's funny, I was at a friend's wedding um, and I actually just talked to her last night and she got married in Fayetteville, North Carolina, cause her husband is a green beret. And basically at their, in this hotel, I sat down on my laptop and I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast. So I started like re recording my voice onto GarageBand, And I was like, my voice sounds terrible. I can't do this. So I, then I just put it away, you know, and then <laughs> a year later, um, I, I had moved to Hawaii. I was, you know, a captain out there and I kind of, this is always, it always kind of been marinating in my head as to this is kind of what I wanted to do. And I always got interested in media and in, in, in just sharing stories with people, whether it's video, podcasts, blogs, whatever. So, you know, long story short, I, I created three episodes of what was called Beyond the Buoy, you know, at the time. And then that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother side story that <laughs> we don't need to get into. But um, I, I created these three episodes just thinking, 
Let's just throw it out there, see what happens. And they were friends of mine. You know, I think two two of them I had just met, and then one of them was an oyster farmer here in Narragansett Bay who I've known forever. And uh, you know, the first few days, I think I got like 25 downloads, and then it kind of spun off from there. And I was like, all right, well, I'll make another one, see what happens. And then that one got like a hundred downloads. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So I kind of went with it, you know, and when COVID hit, I had like four or five episodes and that was kind of it. You know, I didn't really have any intentions to build it as to where it is now, but when COVID came and I left and I was kind of at home looking for jobs and whatnot here in Rhode Island, um, I was like, well, I got nothing else to do. You know, I can train. I can't go to, I can't go to Providence Barbell because it's closed. Right. And all the other gyms are, so I can train in my garage, which saves me a bunch of time traveling. Mm -hmm. So why don't I start, why don't I like really go at this thing and and see what, where it goes. So at the time I was doing like two episodes a week, um, trying to put as much content out as possible, building out website and, and, you know, then it just kind of went from there. You know, I got a job working on the water, which was great. Uh, well, a few jobs actually. And, uh, I just kept with it. I just kept going. And, you know, for me, it was telling the stories behind all the brands and the people, the things that I love to do and the brands that I really love and respect, you know, um, you know, a few brands that I always thought were cool were, you know, uh, Yeti and Costa, Mm -hmm. right. Brands that people know, but they don't really know the story behind them, you know, um, you know, brands like Postfly, you know, and, and Badfish and all these other great brands that, you know, if you're, if you're on the water, you know what these brands are doing with, for the community. So how can we kind of tell that story and share that with someone that wants to buy a, a bad fish box or a post fly or, you know, a crafty one customs rod or, or what have you. Um, and then there's a lot of other brands out there that people don't know about, you know, that I come across and they have a great story equally as good as, you know, the story of Yeti, you know, but it's just a smaller version. So that was kind of the, um, the beginning of what is now along the keel and um it's it's growing you know every day which is cool it's awesome awesome. that's awesome yeah that's really cool and so um you know that's what you're that's what you're doing is is mostly seeking out the stories uh, of the brands that you know like or or kind of are impressed by or or don't know what Mm -hmm. what the origin is that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. What's been your favorite much. one so far? Like, um, man, it's hard to say because when people ask that question, they're like, "What's your favorite one?" Um, but everyone's story is different, you know. Like the folks from Rugged Seas that started this um, company where they take uh, old bib material from fishing bibs and mm-hmm. commercial fishing, and they turn it into a backpack or a wallet or what have you. I mean, they were just they were starting out like me, you know, at that time. And to see them grow into where they are now, it's been really cool to watch that, that growth, yeah. you know, it's been really interesting to see that. So yeah, it's, it's hard to say which one's my favorite. Cause we'll, there's we'll so many scroll, cool stories. Uh, that was probably a pretty lame question, but, but when I scroll through your, your Instagram and I see all the different ones and there's a wide variety of, com- of companies that you've kind of told their story. So I guess a better question would be like, is there a central theme that sticks out to you? from Mm -hmm. all of these people that are generally kind of creating something around something that they love and they've somehow been successful with it. Is there a general Mm -hmm. theme um, that you kind of 
once you hear all these stories, you're kind of like, oh, there it is. Like, that's mm-hmm. what this other person said, and that's what this other person said. And that, what, what would that central theme be if you had one? Yeah, you know, it's that's been the coolest part about this podcast is getting to learn so much from all these businesses that, you know, started out in their garage, right? Like there was a brand Yeti, I mean, um, Jetty that started in a garage and then they got, they got ratted on by their neighbors. They had to move out, you know, and like that story isn't told until you actually ask those questions. And I think a lot of the underlying themes are, you know, we see a niche that can be filled. We see a problem that can be solved and, you know, they kind of take it upon themselves to say, Hey, I think I can do it better. You know, I think, I think I can help plant some mangroves and sell some t-shirts at the same time. And now it's called man gear apparel, right. Or, you know, within the case of jetty, they, they just wanted to help people. Like they just wanted to help their community and, and they wanted to put on surfing contests that, you know, helped friends with testicular cancer and, you know, friends that just suffered a stroke and all these other issues that no one was going to help them or do anything about it. So they took it in their hands to do it. You know, so, and I think that's really what it's all about is creating a community and a brand that lasts and, and that has some sort of impact, right? It's not just a product made in China that's shipped here and you have a cool website and then you focus on Facebook ads and Instagram ads. Like, that's not the brands that you're going to hear on Along the Keel. It's wholesome stories with people that really care about the ocean, the outdoors, and their community around them. Awesome. So, well, yeah. if somebody wanted to check it out, well, how do they do it? Uh, you can check it out on uh, Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere you can um, find a podcast. And of course, Waypoint TV, the Waypoint Podcast Collective, which is awesome. Super stoked to be a part about uh, part of that community. And um, you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram is along underscore the underscore keel um, on Instagram. And on the bio, you can also find my Instagram profile as well. Um, so yeah, pretty much anywhere and everywhere you can find us along the keel.com. And we got some pretty cool things coming out in the spring. So awesome. excited to kind of share that. Well, Zach, man, I enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and um, enjoyed talking, lifting and, and training. I always like to talk about that, but you know, any, anytime I can uh, talk to somebody that's, that's really into what they're doing and, and they have a passion for it. That's, that's the central thing that I get from my podcast when I talk to all these different people that I'm kind of drawn to, kind of mm-hmm. interesting stories, is the people that are the most interesting are kind of doing something because that's what they really want to do. And mm-hmm. and it seems like you're 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 right there. That's what you want to do, and you're doing it. Yeah, well, thanks. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I am um, going to be a guest on your podcast, so people can go check that out uh, at some point whenever that comes out. And um, and uh, I'm glad to have you on mine, man. We'll do it again. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay. Thanks, right. Tom. See ya. See ya.